0: Listening to Side Hustle Pro, the podcast that teaches you to build and grow your side hustle from passion project to profitable business. And I'm your host, Nikay Matthews Akome. So let's get started. Hey, hey guys. Welcome, welcome back to the show. Today in the guest chair, we have Lola Banjo. Lola is the founder, creative director, and designer of Silver & Riley, a premier luxury travel and fashion leather goods brand made exclusively and exquisitely in Italy. Self-described as a dreamer and a doer, Lola launched Silver & Riley in October 2019 with one main goal, creating stylish, functional, and luxurious pieces that do not break the bank, yet make you look and feel like a million bucks. Each Silver & Riley product is designed in a way that combines her passion for problem solving and building things better through her experience as an engineer and now as a corporate strategist with her love for fashion, which she picked up from her late mother, whom the brand is dedicated to. She draws, conceptualizes, and then works with her manufacturers to bring all silver and Riley items to life. In today's episode, Lola shares how she manages a high-level executive position at a global tech company while managing a booming business. Let's get right into it. Thank you for being here. It's such a pleasure to be able to chat with you and interview you. You know, I've done some Instagram stalking. So I'm just loving your brand, Silver and Riley, and everything you do. And I just need to know what made you start side hustling and particularly why bags? (laughs) So it
1: actually started about 10 years ago. Um, Mm -hmm. I was in in business school and I was in between my first and second year. I was interning so um, my internship was at Accenture which is a strategy of management consulting firm so I had to travel for work every week and of course though that wasn't my first time traveling but I got to encounter business travelers a lot and really observe things that people struggle with in the day-to-day life of traveling so I started Mm -hmm. just thinking about like how to make traveling simpler and easier in general and you know, I had so many different ideas and that's what business school like, inspires, just a whole just deluge of ideas, right? But I didn't know where to kind of nail it down to. Uh, and then one flight that I took, it was one I was coming back from from my travels, like one Thursday night, it was like particularly cold. It was in the summer, but the plane was like just freezing. Mm-hmm. And I had asked the, the heralds for a blanket. I was sitting in economy at the time and I asked the heralds for a blanket and she's like... No, blankets are only offered in first class. Oh, wow. And then, <laughs> and then it, it, it <laughs> kind of was me. like one of those things. I was like, oh, really? Okay, uh, so we're supposed to freeze back here because <laughs> yeah. it was super cold on the plane. But it sparked an idea in me. And I was like, mm-hmm. Oh, I need to create some kind of like travel accessories where, you know, mm-hmm. you can bring on things like blankets and things that you need for the conveniences of travel. So I started ideating on this travel product, right? It was okay. like this portable blanket that you can bring on the plane. At the time, there now there is like examples of that on the market. But at the time, there was nothing I searched and researched. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Okay, you know what, I can create this. So I went on to my my, um, my uh, significant other at the time I was like I have this great idea and we just started like sketching things out he was in marketing I was in strategy that's what we were studying in business school yeah. and so we built this business plan together to launch this travel accessories brand and then it came time to have like the funding for it and that's where things kind of got stuck because oh. try, <laughs>
0: try
1: to pitch it to like you know VCs at the time went to the, mm-hmm. the entrepreneurship lab at school and it all came down to you don't have a viable product yet we can't give you money until you have something right where you can show so they wanted you to actually produce the product okay exactly produce the product and actually have some traction have some build a customer base have a user base and you know get some feedback all which required money and if you know like anything like regarding like your mba you drain your savings and you're getting yep. loans so i was already in the financial hole before going into that so i was like so okay you're like how am, you- how am i gonna start this business start this <laughs> business? so let me like put the idea to the side for now so i I put it to the side and I started my career in, in strategy consulting. But, okay. you know, you know when you have an idea and you have a dream. Now, I have had over 100 business ideas in the course of my life, right? I have... Yeah written down all kinds of business plans like you know like my my I think most people have a lot of ideas but I exactly you know, also flesh it out to you know writing out business plans and I've done that for so many different ideas but this was the one that just kept on coming back to me mm-hmm. and kept on nagging at me yeah. and I was like there's something here so I just started paying attention like as I traveled more I was in strategy consulting for seven years so I got to travel mm-hmm. a lot during that time so as I traveled more I would just observe more and write things down. So my idea started to kind of transform to like travel bags, you know, so okay. um, duffels, rolling luggage and really researching that market. And I was like, there's a viable case here, Everyone travels for the most part, and everyone uses a bag, right? So there is a case. There's this really strong business case here, but I didn't know how to start it. And I was so immersed in my career at the time. I poured myself into my career, and I was doing very well. But the better you do in your career, the more work, the, you know, the more responsibility. Yeah, that, that's how they
0: reward you. <laughs> exactly, more work on your plate. You get
1: more work on your plate. <laughs> you your plate. had all these direct reports and things yeah. like. So it was it was much harder to to commit to it, but um the idea just never left me Mm. it would like literally haunt me like I would even though it was
0: on the back burner of your mind it it just never left I was
1: I was forcing it to be in the back burner right it was naturally wanted to come out you know it was nagging at me so much like I would literally think about this business every single day Wow. you know and I would envision my life around like when I thought about it I would just be like Okay. Okay. Focus, focus, get back to work. You know, what
0: were some of the things that made you keep putting it on the back burner? Like when you thought about it, was it the money? Was it not knowing where to begin? Was it thinking like, who is going to make this, this luxury item I have in mind? Like, I don't want it to be, you know, just any kind of bag.
1: I think that's exactly all the above, all the above Michaela. Like, so it was Okay, I needed to save up because at this point yeah. it was apparent to me that there was no VC that was going to back this. And I actually I got to a point where I kind of got like cocky, even if I, even though I didn't have anything. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I don't want anybody to take my equity, so I'm not giving up any equity. I'm gonna do this on my own, right? right, right. I, I didn't have anything yet. I didn't have a right. I didn't Equity have and nothing. <laughs> I was still thinking about equity. i like, equity is zero percent of zero. zero. <laughs> equity of zero is zero. But, anyway, but a lot of people like, do that. Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. So um, it was that, but it was also just not knowing how to navigate the landscape. Mm-hmm. I had not had anyone that started anything like as, in my mind, as big as I wanted to start at the time. Mm-hmm. I didn't know where to look, you know? And yeah. so around some time in 2018, everything changed. So as I mentioned, like this business is, it's been like 10 years, actually more than a decade in the making at this point. Wow. Um, uh-huh. cause, I, Cause I thought about it in 2010, right? But around 2018, I was like, you know what, I'm never going to get away from this idea. Mm -hmm. I know there's something there and I will always regret not exploring it at this time. And I was like, it's now or never. Um, And I literally just took two weeks of PTO And um, I said, let me just dedicate the time to just like fleshing this out with no distractions, literally put my phone on do not disturb and just like started researching things, you know, and just like trying to ideate around like, what is this business? What exactly Mm. is it? And then I said, okay, let me do some consumer insight studies. I hired a firm. And I okay. paid some money, and at the time it was really still just travel products. So I was like, I want to develop a travel bag that is, you know, combining all these things, all these all these um, functionalities and qualities that people are saying they wanted. Like I was scouring um, sites, like retail sites, like just reading uh-huh. feedback and reading reviews from from different um, customers in terms of what they wanted. <clears throat> So I hired the consumer insights firm because, of course, as I was researching on Google, there was so many different directions of where you can go and produce. And I wanted to nail that down. I wanted to like, where should I manufacture? That was the number one number one um, thing I wanted to ask. I already had an inkling that there was going to come back as Italy, but I wanted to confirm it. I don't want to use my own biases to to make that decision.
0: And why Um, did you have that inkling just based on the luxury bags that you buy? Exactly.
1: Okay. Exactly. Pretty much like if you think about all the luxury fashion houses, they're either made in Italy or in France. Mm -hmm. Most of them are made in Italy, but I, I wasn't sure if that was important to To people i felt like it was made in italy just because that's origin of 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 where it comes from Mm -hmm. right you know italian leather there's a lot of leather being made there's a lot of family history and all kinds of stuff in there but i wanted to really pinpoint if it was actually important to the consumer for the bag to be made in italy as opposed to just the fact that it's made in italy um, by nature right so that's the first thing i wanted to confirm um, and then the second thing was just like just asking people about the conveniences they'll want in their bag and their products mm-hmm. to make their life easier, confirming that as well. And then running focus groups I actually ran like three focus groups when I was started and it had like 10 and was people, this through the mixture. consumer
0: insights firm.
1: No. So the consumer insights firm is separate and then okay. also the, the focus group. So the consumer insights firm, I really just wanted them to actually like, you know, get data about what people like. So it was a randomized sample of, of people. And the way those firms work is like the bigger the sample size, the more expensive it is. So mm-hmm. I think I settled on like 200 people. So they're collected okay. insights from 200 people. And the questions were around like, when you think about leather uh, it was we try not to make the questions lead in because we we didn't want people to we didn't want to feed them the answer yep. but it was just like <laughs> things like when you think about leather um, and where it's manufactured what what country comes to mind things like that you know and also does the place that your your bag is manufactured matter it was a set of about 50 questions that were asked to be able to get to Italy and everything just kept on saying Italy, Italy. <laughs> I mean, literally, like, it was like 90% of people were like, okay, the, it matters. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and I think the biggest disparity is that there is a there is a connotation from, you know, bags that come from, you know, certain Asian markets versus uh-huh. Italy. And I wanted to kind of like tease out the comparison, right? You know, Mm -hmm. because obviously there's a significant price point in manufacturing price point differential in manufacturing from those two markets. Um, And as a, as a, as a producer, you always want to go to a lower cost market. Right, right. right. (laughs) But, but I was like, no, you know what? Um, It's that's not going to fly. And then I actually did do research. I did reach out to some uh, manufacturers in those other markets to get, prototypes of their products and i was able to compare myself and it was like night and day so i was like mm. okay there's no way i will produce in anywhere else other than italy or comparable like so there are also some but comparable that's markets. awesome that
0: you you went and got those prototypes made in the different countries to Absolutely. see what the quality would be okay yeah now this, this, this is already about, sounding like <laughs> so right it was, it was it was expensive yeah.
1: And it was about a nine month long process for me mm-hmm. in totality from the time that I started doing the research to the time yeah. that I launched, um, because I got samples from across different markets. Um, I actually, in, in, at the end of 2018, I booked a two week trip once everything confirmed Italy. Yeah. And I started trying to like reach out to manufacturers in Italy, not getting any responses, not being able to speak Italian. I my crazy ass book. Oh, I probably can't. No, you can. (laughs) It's okay. So I booked a two week trip to Italy, to the to to on the outskirts of Milan where there was a lot of leather manufacturers. Mm -hmm. And I said I was just going to go door to door, literally go door to door for this because they were not responding to me or they were saying no. And I was just like, they need to. I need to build some kind of relationship face to face. And I went door to door, I had a list of factories that I had to visit, got my mm-hmm. Uber, and just literally went there. And actually, two of those days, I hired a translator because it was becoming difficult to communicate. Mm-hmm. And essentially, I had a set of questions. But what I was trying to accomplish was just to find my manufacturer, find the one mm-hmm. that wanted to work with me, and be able to incorporate a lot of those things that I wanted in my products, but also had the values that aligned with mine, the sustainability goals that aligned with mine, and, mm-hmm. and things like that so at um, this
0: point did you have a bag sketched out as like the first yes. thing you wanted to make okay
1: yeah the very so first when you bag, went
0: there you were asking them can you make this or can you
1: make this bag yeah, yeah exactly so it was all like can you make this bag for me this is the yeah. sketch this is what it looks like can you make it for me what's the process um and the first question they will always ask me was just do you have a backer right do you have like mm-hmm. some kind of financing um and the answer was no, I was self-funded. Now keep in mind over the course of like ideating and the business uh, in 2010 to mm-hmm. when I actually started in 2018, I did save some money. Cause I was just like, you know what? I'm going to start putting some money towards this ambition because yeah. I don't want to get funding and I, I don't have anything to get funding with yet. So right. I wanted to save the money to start. And when so you said, I, thinking, I want to save
0: money, did you have an amount in mind? Like, um, yeah. this, this is going to require 10,000. This is going to require a exactly. hundred thousand. Like what, what was that amount? McKayla, that
1: you- <laughs> I thought it was going to require 20,000. Right. Yeah. And you'd be surprised. <laughs> Do you want me to share now? Well, how much I, it actually yeah, requires? Like, I'm
0: I'm thinking Italian leather, and my mind goes a hundred thousand. What did it actually require? I have
1: invested, well, to start the business, I invested 120,000. So Mm -hmm. I thought it was 20,000, right? Yeah. And I was just like, I had in my mind that everything startup costs, it was not going to be more than 40,000. It was 20,000 to produce, but then I had all these other costs, right? To set up the infrastructure of the business. So I put a $40,000 cap on everything. But girl, once I went and i was looking for manufacturers and they were talking about uh, they were talking about um, the minimum order quantity the moq mm-hmm. which is basically that terminology is like the minimum that you can order for a particular sku right, right, right. so i was thinking that i will find a manufacturer and they will be able to make me 10 pieces of
0: this item so i can test the market right no right. way
1: they were like we require a thousand. They were like, pieces. "Girl, you
0: cannot pre-sale this. You yeah, need to buy exactly. it." exactly.
1: <laughs> They're like, "We require a thousand pieces up front, and there's wow. no there's no finance terms." Where I was like, "Oh yeah, they'll be able to give you net thirty, net 60. They're like, "We don't know you. We have no no motivation to give <laughs> yeah. you any of those terms. You wow. have to pay everything up front." And you know, the average bag, so the bag that I was producing. It was mm-hmm. the cost, was because, because also my minimums were lower, so it was mm-hmm. higher in cost. It was coming up to like 300, and these folks were telling me that I had to order a thousand pieces, right? Mm-hmm. And it was three 300, like 300,000. Where yeah. do I get that from, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. I kept on searching, I kept on talking, get, kept on getting rejected because my minimums I was looking for, I was like, okay, let me try to find a manufacturer that would take a hundred, right? Yeah as yeah. a minimum. And also would would just wanna do a lower uh, a lesser amount of run. Like so a lot of them will want you to have a collection as opposed to just like two bags, right? Yeah, yeah. So it was I talked to 136. That number is wow. going to be forever ingrained in my brain. I'm going to tell my grandkids this story, my <laughs> great grandkids, by the grace of God. like yes. I will tell them the story of getting rejected by 136 wow. manufacturers before I found the one. One single one that said, yes, I can work with you within your parameters. And they also checked the boxes that I was looking for. Mm-hmm. And it was like this major breakthrough of just like feeling so excited and relieved, but then also exhausted before I even yeah. started, before I actually had a product I was already right. tired. I was like, how do people start businesses? This is crazy. I, well,
0: first of all, congrats. Were all you. those rejections on that trip, that two-week trip you took? No, no, no. It was, okay, it was, over- during that two-week trip that i took
1: i went and saw maybe about 25 manufacturers uh-huh. and some meetings were very quick it was like nope <laughs> some were longer right some actually yeah. sat down and gave me the you know the proper respect and welcome and i like, oh okay. we'll like to work with you in the future and funny enough yeah. one of those that did receive me well i work with them almost exclusively now because oh, they were not wow. they were not able to work with me for cuz th- the first manufacturer i did find yeah w- is not them right so mm-hmm. um they were they're one we of the ones that, that initially i know yeah. <laughs> girl there's we, so we, much we, yeah. have we have time we have time <laughs> okay i love it cuz the first manufacturer i found yeah. uh, i'll tell you that story but anyway so one of the ones that initially like Mm-hmm. rejected me but in such a respectful loving way it was just like it was it, the business case was not aligned to them at the time right they did mm-hmm. not have the capacity to accommodate what i was looking for or what i needed at the time but they did it yeah. in such a loving respectful way that when i was able to bolster up my financial resources and my mm-hmm. manufacturing capacity I went straight back to them and I was like, I want to work with you guys because I love what you do. And I just love the way you handled me as a potential customer. You didn't mm-hmm. have a dime from me, but you treated me in such a respectful way. But having that one, the first one that did say yes, the first breakthrough yeah. in Southern Italy, I was so relieved and so excited to finally have a working prototype. I can imagine.
0: When- and what, what was it about that one? Like, what is it about... Mm-hmm what you presented, you know, that everyone else said no to that they were willing to work with? What do you think it was that made them say yes?
1: I think at the time, unbeknownst to me, um, they were also kind of just like starting up their customer list and they they okay. were excited to kind of just, maybe they, maybe even like let, You know, just newcomers or like people with less experience in that industry come in because they were looking for customers as well. They're looking to bolster up their their Rolodex. But it was not a Cinderella story, it was not a success story with that first manufacturer. Why is that? I will say I was grateful. Even now, in retrospect, even though the the story didn't end well with that first manufacturer, I'm grateful that I had that breakthrough because I think Mm -hmm. it was just God's way of telling me like, it's going to work. You know, you may knock on 136 doors that say no, but you'll eventually get one. So even though that didn't end up to be like the ideal manufacturer, you know, that boost of confidence and finding that one, because Mm -hmm. after that one, I was able to go back and find one almost immediately and went back to the other one like very quickly and everything kind of just started like rolling from there it's like after you've gotten so much rejection you start to kind of lose some kind of you know even though I've always seen myself as a positive optimistic like go get in like just I would just keep on going it could it be does discouraging. Something to you yeah, yeah it does something to you psychologically and-
0: were you able to create at that first slate of products and sell and at least recoup some of the manufacturing costs? Or did you sever the relationship during the process?
1: So let me tell you the story about that one that I did find. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. here's what happens, right? In the, in the manufacturing process, you find the manufacturer, you do the sketch, right? I do a lot yep. of my drawings myself, uh, and then they make it into a paper prototype. You, you accept it, and then mm-hmm. they actually make a physical prototype. They send it to you, you inspect it, you make changes, and then okay. they go make the production, right? So that whole cycle is about six weeks long, right? Mm-hmm. So once I did that, right, for that first manufacturer, I made a big order, because the prototypes that they sent me checked the boxes, and I was like, it's okay. great, great. So I made a big order and I remember um, sending the biggest check at, the, at this point that I had sent. Yeah. At that point, it was like $80,000, right? Wow. And I paid for the order. And when the production bags came in, the first set of production bags came in, half of them were completely different from the prototypes that I approved. <laughs> and I actually learned after the fact that this happened so ma- to so many people when they're oh starting their God. businesses. <laughs> Essentially, what the what the guy did was, Mm -hmm. you know, send me the perfect prototypes. Right. With the leather, the exact specificity of the leather and the the design that I wanted. But then when it came to production, what he tried to do is like for some some of the SKUs Mm -hmm. use a lesser quality leather or lesser quality accessories. So basically now I paid for I paid for the expensive one. right? Right. Right. But he's trying to like just get a little bit more money on the side. And they do it all the time now, not necessarily just in Italy, but just in, in manufacturing in general. Mm-hmm. But that was a hard lesson to learn and uh. a very expensive one because I ended up having to scrap about $20,000 worth of product wow. that was just like I could not in good conscience include this or send it to customers mm-hmm. and also the fact that I had shot my campaigns right with the perfect prototype right and then I'm gonna send like imagine like what what you ordered do you know those yeah. things and it's Instagram? what I ordered versus what right. I, mean? I was like no that's not gonna be me we can't right? do that
0: what did they say what did they did they say we'll replace it like no it
1: became a legal issue right and um i wrote a 27 page document because i got a lawyer Mm -hmm. Uh, we're going to go into arbitration it was it was a big case Mm -hmm. So what he ended up doing, um, because he wanted to, because I also pulled in the International Trade Committee, it was a big thing because, you know, I was thinking, even though it's $80,000, it may seem like a drop in the bucket for a lot of these governmental agencies. For me, it was like a lot more than I even thought I was going to spend, right? $80,000 is significant when you're self-funding, right? And I just felt so cheated, and I was mm-hmm. just so angry, like, mm-hmm. and so I was just like, okay, you know, calm down, take up the legal case. And I found a lawyer, which was also expensive, wrote out the document. And then he said, you know what, in order to not make it go to the to the law and all the stuff to court, yeah. uh, let's just find um, some kind of mediation, right? Okay. And so what he did was, he sent me replacement bags that were in perfect quality but in a lesser amount so i wasn't able to recoup the entire twenty thousand okay. dollars i was able to recoup about ten thousand so i was just like you know what this is a lesson i'm not even gonna fight it because it, the whole process was taken like a long time. Right. So I was mm-hmm. like, I'm not going to fight it any longer. Let me just let this go and know that that was my most expensive lesson to date. I'm going to learn yeah. a lot of lessons, but yeah, at that time, that was my most expensive lesson. And i and that lesson is,
0: is going to help so many people who are listening to this. In hindsight, what do you think you could have done or what should we do differently? What right? I Those do differently. Us, yeah. Okay. <laughs> what I do
1: differently now yeah. is whenever you have a business that has a global supply chain, you mm-hmm. manufacture in a different country, you do anything like that, and you place a large order. Yeah. You have to, first of all, be there at the point of shipment, right? Mm-hmm. You have to have someone that's there at the point of shipment, like a quality control, quality assessor, something like that at the start of the relationship when you're still building trust. Now, okay. when you already have the relationship, like I have with my current manufacturer, I trust that if they're going to, If they tell me that they're going to send me this, they're going to send me that because it's Mm -hmm. actually in their best interest. Now they know that my business is a viable business is bringing in revenue. They don't want to sever the relationship with me as well. So they're always going to do right by me. But Mm -hmm. at the start, you know, the manufacturers don't know that yet. You could just be another, because so many people start businesses, right? Mm -hmm. Every single year they fail. So for them, it could just be a one-time order. So they don't care Mm. about that relationship. So over-indexing on relationships is important. So once you build that relationship, I've invested a lot in my relationships with my manufacturers right now. Uh Like, they When they tell me that the sky is whatever color, I believe them because we yeah. have that trust with, with mm-hmm. each other, but it took a long time to build. But when you don't have that relationship yet, make sure you have somebody at the point of shipment, right? So okay. you have a quality assurance, or quality control, whatever you want to call it. But somebody right. that's actually checking that what you ordered is what you're getting. Sometimes okay. there's not a way to do that you know, right. in person. So, you you know, for instance, during COVID, a lot of people could not travel. Um, so, you know, you had to maybe like trust that they will send you pictures or videos. So you have to ask for in-depth like evidence that everything right. that you actually ask for is what it is. And then make sure you also get business insurance. That's okay. one thing I didn't do at the start. Right. So mm-hmm. I ate the cost you know, that uh, of every error that's, that I've made in the first year, right? I ate wow. all of those costs. And I your even... business
0: insurance, um, will that apply globally? Yes. If, so okay.
1: even like right now I have a shipment that's on its way to me and mm-hmm. there's about $300,000 of products, right? Mm-hmm. Anything can happen, right? Yeah pirates because she sees the ship <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah that's real something, that's real that's been right
1: happening. yeah exactly something anything can happen yeah. so it covers every business situation mm. it could also be you have an employee that stole from you that's business uh, insur- like so there's yeah. so many different business insurance products right of course if you have one that's like comprehensive that covers every situation it's more expensive mm-hmm. yeah. um, but every company offers business insurance right uh, and you pay the premiums you know you get the insurance that you feel like you need but i think that's what a lot of us don't do i Mm -hmm. I didn't have the advice to do that at the start of my business right because you know i didn't know i didn't know i needed it right so a lot of the cost that you know a lot of the the mistakes that that were made or the lessons that i had to learn in the
0: first year i ate it you know so talk about being self-funded. And that's one of the main reasons why I do this show and talk about side hustling, right? Because your job is that first investor. So in addition Mm -hmm. to your job, were there other resources and other places you look to for capital to help you fund this business on your own?
1: Yeah, I did. I definitely looked at like SBA loans as well. I looked at business funding that did not require an equity investment, um, things like that. I think the first thing, again, I was kind of like, I don't want to give up any equity and I was still making $0. Like nobody (laughs) wants equity of something that's still in the red, but I was like, I don't want to give up any equity. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs say that, but there is, there is merit to giving up equity because again, you can, it can help you grow and accelerate your business and scale to a certain extent. But at that start, I think it was just combination of I still didn't know what I was doing yet, right? So I wanted to really master this industry, master my business, master what I was doing before I started pulling others in. Mm -hmm. And you know, I think also maybe some imposter syndrome was there. I didn't want to be exposed Mm -hmm. as a fraud in this industry. I was like, I don't have fashion background per se. Uh You know, I wanted to kind of have some set of successes that I've accomplished on my own before I actually go out into the world and possibly ask for support. Um, but also I, but mainly it was just like, I wanted to feel like I was in control of my destiny. I felt mm-hmm. like investors may want me to leave my, my company right away. And mm-hmm. I wanted to be in control of my own pace. Right. And in some mm-hmm. way. So I said, you know, thankfully I did, ha- I do have money saved up and, you know, I was able to tap into those personal resources to be able to, you know, get it to a certain place. So I was like, let me just ride that until I can't ride it anymore. Right. And, you know, see how far I can take that. So that's where at the self-funding came in but I did look at some resources here and there mm-hmm. and that's all scary ultimate-
0: you know mm-hmm. kudos to you because I mean they're entrepreneurs who or side hustlers who have to drain their 401ks drain their savings mm-hmm. and they're still at the end of the day looking around like where where did my money go what do I have to show right. for it so at what stage were you able to put silver and riley on the market and mm-hmm. start earning for your beautiful bags Thank you
1: so much. So, it was around October 20, uh, well, it was in October 2019 that I launched. And I launched in October because I wanted to launch on my mom's birthday. It's um, The brand is dedicated to my mom. She passed away 20 years ago, mm-hmm. and she taught me a lot of what I know about the energy behind entrepreneurship. Uh, but it took about a year of being able to, because I, when I took that flight to Italy, it was November 2018. But it was also like, you know, uh, when I first took those two weeks off in August 2018, so just about over a year before I actually got mm-hmm. to the point from, from really sitting down to build this business to launching it. Now, my okay. journey in total, you can say, was a decade long, right? You don't mm-hmm. need a decade, but mine was every, everyone's journey is different, right? So, you know, don't feel like if you have a business idea, you have to bring it to life right away. Sometimes you have to learn some things, you have to study yeah. the, the industry, you have to learn the market. Everyone's pace is different. I mean, there was a sense of urgency in the in the fact that the dream was nagging at me. Yeah. But because I do have a full-time gig, I wasn't financially pressed to start a business. It was like, I want to get to a place where... I actually have this and I'm building an enterprise. I'm not just like trying to do a fast kind of, you know, make a fast buck. I want to build a family legacy. I want to build generational wealth from this. So I'm going to take the time and be heads down Mm -hmm. and actually study the market, learn about leather, learn about production, learn about manufacturing, learn about consumers, learn about what my customers actually need, do those market research studies, those consumer insights, like build those focus groups, you know, in corporate feedback, I have really been taking the time because this is a business that I see as you know, a, I, I everyone asks me, like, what do you compare yourself to? I say Louis Vuitton. I'm not comparing myself. I know, that's
0: right. Right, I that's exactly. Right. I'm like, And that's you what gotta I see yourself. when I see your brand, you know. Yeah. And that's why like my mind was just went to a hundred thousand, you know, off the rip like of investment Thank because you. I just I see that quality. And Thank um, you you know, and I'm glad you mentioned that going at your own pace as well. I think Mm -hmm. that you know, there's always nuance to everything. And so sometimes you see people who spend years and years and they don't seem to get their their business off the ground. And so some people, you know, see that story and they're like, oh, I need to just go out there. And no, there's, there's gray area. It's not black mm-hmm. and white. Like, I love the way that you learned the industry. You went and you you went straight. You took time off to go to Italy. You mm-hmm. did consumer insights and all of this takes money. So it's also going yeah. back to not only... Are you saving? But then you're also working. You're working a really demanding job as a strategy consultant. So it's not like you have, you know, time to dilly dally all the time. Like there, I'm sure there were periods where you were just swamped by your actual day job. I don't remember a period
1: that I was not swamped.
0: Let me put it like that. Let me put it like that. I know business. that consulting life. I don't know it personally, yeah. but from what I saw, <laughs> I was like, I, that I don't intense. remember when I was not been
1: swamped. It's just yeah. been, you know, but Nikayla, like, with anything in life that's worth Mm -hmm. it. When you're working at it, it's going to take time and effort. Things that are worth it take time and effort, right? So for me, it's been just really knowing how to manage my time. And I don't do it Mm -hmm. perfectly. You know, I think sometimes I do get it wrong. But what I have started to adhere to when I started the business. And actually this was more from necessity than anything. When I was calling Mm -hmm. those manufacturers, when I was on the phone with Italy, I was thinking about the time zone, right? The time Um, zone difference. There are six hours ahead of me. So I was always waking up at three or 4 a.m. to kind of get that done. So Mm -hmm. my schedule and my, my, my body clock just automatically indexed to you wake up every day by 3 a.m. And that's a schedule I've always kept. You wow. know, so I go to sleep every single day. I'm in bed by 10 p.m. Well, maybe except for weekends or if I'm hanging out with friends. But most normal days I'm in bed by 10 p.m. Yeah. And I wake up around 3 a.m. And I start work. I start working mm. on my business. And I work on my business for about three to five hours. I mean, for yeah. about five hours or so. You know, whether now it's whether it's like, you know, the lists of um, reading customer emails or ideating on something, mm-hmm. corresponding with my manufacturers, or building out the new the next collection. I'm doing something for my business, right? And then I start Salesforce, my job, around yeah. nine AM and I okay. work there. I don't have a nine to five because I I have an executive role. So it's like whenever I'm needed, right? So it right, could right. be I could have to travel that day or something, right? But typically on an average day I'm at work at Salesforce from nine to maybe six o'clock. Right. Okay. And then I do the personal things, you know, um, from six to eight. And then I go back and look at the business again uh, for a couple of hours tie up some things. If it's shipping day, then, you know, the schedule kind of changes a little mm-hmm. bit because we ship in the evenings, um, Mondays, Wednesdays, and Saturdays. But if it was just a normal day, then, you know, I, I just you know answer emails or whatever it is. I try to send things that I need to do to maybe editorials, whatever it is. Uh, and then I go to sleep by 10 and I wake up at 3 a.m. and rinse and repeat. So that time management and just being sticking to that schedule. Now, mm-hmm. I definitely understand that not everyone can have the luxury of that time. Right, that schedule yeah. because I don't have kids yet. You know, I don't have yeah. a lot of things that are maybe demanding of my time other than you know my work and my my business and you know some family things that I have to also take care of. But most most of my time is still kind of my own to manage, mm-hmm. right? So I, I I'm benefiting from that. So I, you know I I just say that because you know I don't want to make a blanket statement like, oh, everybody can manage it. If you have a newborn baby, right. you'd be... <laughs> yeah, that, well, a you know, that's a different whole
0: Listen, even when I didn't have a newborn baby, I still struggle to manage my time in the way that you're mm-hmm. describing. So it's still mm-hmm. so admirable, like for you to be you. that disciplined with your time. So right. you launched in October 2019. Yeah. What happened next? What was the customer response? Um, you know, what was the revenue like? Was it starting mm-hmm. to to pick up right away, or did it take some yeah. time to get that customer base?
1: So I launched to, um, I had a launch event, which included my family and friends, uh, uh, some industry uh, uh, personalities like stylists, influencers, Mm -hmm. and things like that. It was a very successful launch event from the perspective of, I actually made it a selling event as well. You know, I launched the product, told the story, it was a party, cocktails, all that stuff, but then people could also place orders. So that was Mm -hmm. my first set of customers, right? Where they actually placed physical orders the bags and then you know i had a whole bunch of like marketing stuff that i invested in across social Mm -hmm. media and of course my personal social platforms hey guys i just launched this brand so that was my first set of customers it's just like family and friends right um but then it started to grow from there you know by around January, I started to see my first few customers that were names I didn't recognize, right? So once you start seeing names that you don't recognize, it's like, oh, this
0: is is growing, like, who is this person? So around January, (laughs) exactly.
1: So about like two, three months after launch, I started seeing names I didn't recognize. Mm -hmm. And then by February, it was like a lot more names I didn't recognize. And I was like, okay, the business is growing. I started investing into more ads on Facebook and things like that. And it was doing really great. And then March 2020, Corona. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and let me tell corona, you, Corona, Corona,
1: Corona, yep. Corona. I mean, I'm sure we're all tired of hearing about Corona at yep, this point. Yep. But it had a major impact on my business. Mm. Major in the sense that five months after I launched, everything came to a standstill. Five months after I invested $120,000 into my business, everything came to a standstill. I had the first month, the first month and a half of uh, the pandemic, I had zero sales, zero. Like literally my Shopify store said zero, like for those months, there was not one sale. And yeah, I think, again, I'm such a calm, like optimistic and in some cases, spiritual person. Like I believe Mm -hmm. in like divine, you know, I believe in the universe, I believe in God, a higher power, but that was the first time in a long time that I actually just like started freaking out. Like, did I make a mistake? Like, have I, you know, am I going to lose everything that I've invested? Again, at this point, it was $120,000 in, which was a lot of money to me at the time, a lot of money to anybody. Right. But yeah, it was a lot of money. And I was just like, I haven't, of course I hadn't made a profit yet. You know, everything, even all the sales that I had made prior to that was being reinvested back into the business. Mm -hmm. So um, it was just like, what's going to happen? And then I, w- I had four women on my team. You know, so one, was doing, one was an intern doing marketing, publicist. I had to make the decision. I didn't have any money to pay them. So everyone had to kind of go. And it was just, it was a lot. And then the worst sad, part yeah. was I had just placed this big order for my spring collection, my spring summer huh. collection. And I remember the shipment date was around like, Uh, the end of March. But Italy was the market that was hit the worst by the virus, if you recall. So they shut down by the first week of March. I was like two weeks away from getting my delivery and they had to shut down their factory. Their factory did not reopen again till like August, September. So I had spring collection with all these Mm -hmm. bright colors coming to me in September. I had all this marketing and everything. So I had all my working capital tied up into that. And it was just, Mm -hmm. it was a lot.
0: (laughs) How did you stay sane and motivated and just, you know, calm (laughs) and not completely just have a breakdown or maybe you did? You know, I
1: think I had a couple of freak outs, like maybe yeah. not a complete breakdown. I think, honestly, one thing that kept me, kept me grounded, I mentioned it earlier that this brand is dedicated to my mom. She's mm-hmm. my uh, biggest motivation inspiration. She was a entrepreneur in her time as well. She passed away 20 years ago, but she had several businesses and mm-hmm. she was just a very positive loving person that everyone loved her. and yeah she had such a really grounded perspective on life, which is where Mm -hmm. I get a lot of my perspective from. And she used to just have, whenever things would go wrong, right? She used to always say, it could be anything small. You know, she'd be like, no condition is permanent, right? And that's something I heard almost all my life while she was was alive. No condition is permanent, right? Everything is going to be okay. And she meant it in the sense that whether you have, something where you, when you're in the middle of a storm it will eventually end but also when you have good things coming to you as yeah. well enjoy it while you have it because everything eventually ends no condition mm-hmm. whether positive or negative is permanent so yeah. you know live in the moment when you have the good things but also know that the bad things will pass and honestly kayla that that was the perspective that kept me going I kept on I, I was like on Wikipedia every day reading up all the the pandemics that had, had happened in the past I was like they, they have an end date they, they have, have an end an date, end date. date. <laughs> right. it's gonna end. there is light at the end of the There's tunnel light. I don't know when it's gonna be but it's gonna right. end right something's gonna happen yeah. and like also I think I was I was a little bit protected by the fact that this was not my mm. source of income that was right I, like you know i was not taking any money from the business like i still mm-hmm. had my job and i was very grateful for that and i actually mm-hmm. even felt guilty for that because i saw so many people yeah. guilty for momentarily because i saw so many people losing their their livelihood mm-hmm. and losing um you know their financial stability and so i was like how can i even
0: dare complain right. you're like i don't have going. it that bad it could be right. worse I, right. I i know right. that feeling for sure So guys, have you been thinking about starting your own podcast? So you've been thinking about all these different ideas or you have one idea that just keeps coming back to you, but you're not sure how to start. Or if you have started, you're not sure why you can't grow it as much as you want to grow it. And you're also confused about how to truly make it your side hustle, right? Like, How do you go from having this show that you do in your closet like I do to actually making money and actually using it as a platform to grow? Well that's what I'm here for. I'm going to be teaching you how to make podcasts in your side hustle. Go over to podcastmoguls.com to register so we can go over some things, all right? And it's also your opportunity to pick my brain. Stay until the end so you can get to the Q&A and you can ask me anything that you want to ask me about podcasting. You can talk to me about challenges and I am here as your resource. This training is completely free. I love doing this because you can walk away from this training and completely make a difference in your show. So go over to podcast podcastmoguls.com. Make sure you are registered. Again, that's podcastmoguls.com to learn how to make podcasting your side hustle. When were you able to pick things up again? And how did you go about... I'm curious how you, you were going about your marketing because I see it now on influencers, I see you've been featured in major publications on TV as well. Um, so how did you, did you reshift your efforts to your marketing and what did yeah. you do to get that kind of coverage?
1: Yeah, I've always really indexed on building relationships. Relationships mm-hmm. are so important to me. And in the first year and a half, two years, I said I wasn't gonna pay do any kind of paid influencer. I wanted people that were gonna just love the brand, love what I, my story, what I'm about. And, you know, I actually had, like, God placed a lot of people in my life that just like, wow, you know, you have this brand and you're donating yourself and the products look amazing. We'd love to support. How can we support? Mm. So people were reaching out to me and I was cultivating those relationships just because, you know, I was genuinely like... I have had influencers that I followed for years, you know, for years and years, for instance, like Shayla, all things slim. She was yeah. first featured on fashion bomb daily, like maybe in 2012. And I followed her for a long time. So when I launched my brand, I just like reached out to her. I'm like, Hey, I've been following you for all this time. I really love yeah. your story. I felt like I knew her family. Cause you know, I had like seen her kids be born and grow up. <laughs> and so we connected, we connected yeah. like that. So I just, I just like really invested in cultivating, Real authentic relationships and like, you know, really telling people my story, taking the time, whoever responded. Now, I will say like I sent hundreds and maybe thousands of emails and I didn't always get a response. Right. And that's going to happen. I think when it happens at first, you feel like, oh, that sucks, that rejection. But, you know, you learn that it's just a part of the game and people people have limited time and resources yeah. to, to allocate. So it's okay. But, you know, the relationships that I was able to cultivate, I was able to do that. And then I focused on the marketing side as well. Like, mm-hmm. you know, shooting campaigns that I felt like were attention grabbing, you know, um, investing in ad spend, um, things like that. And then, you know, and also I re-engaged with a PR firm as well okay. to see if I can like help craft the story and also just like the brand image. You know, so it was just like, really just like taking the time. And again, I, it was because like to the to the title of your podcast, like as a side hustle at the time, it was not the only thing that was bringing in my, actually, I was not taking any revenue from it mm-hmm. at all. So I was able to do that. I was able to take that time to actually see what would work. Um, yeah. I think a turning point in that journey, actually at towards the end of the year page and dr dre she is an influencer on uh, instagram but she's a doctor she's a real life person and she's a real yeah. life friend now um but she fell in love with the bestseller which is this bag the convertible executive bag ah, right? how beautiful is to- that you guys like look at I that i can send it to you by the way oh, <laughs>
0: Not, so I'll get you I'll not, get your. I
1: know. I'll get your. I did not operations. tell her to do
0: that, and you no, you have to no. feel pressure
1: to do that. Well, oh, no, no, no,
0: no, no. But yeah. seriously,
1: I sent her that bag, and she mm-hmm. loved it. So she posted yeah. it to her doctor community, and yeah. they all loved it too. And then that was a turning point in like, you know, just bringing the business back, you know, like, so I started actually start seeing sales again. And, you know, so it was a combinative effort, you know, of just building those relationships, investing in marketing ads, uh, and just like, you know, finding people that naturally gravitated towards the story, the authenticity behind the brand and what I was also the mission of the brand. So I didn't Mm -hmm. mention that I give back 5% of, of all sales, To to women as as grants to start their business, because I know how hard it is when you're starting out. I had the privilege, the fortune of having the financial cushion from, Mm -hmm. you know, having a lucrative job over the years. But I know not everyone is in that position. So I just I just hate to see us. Stifle our creativity mm-hmm. and our ability to actually be a part of this economy, be a part of this next frontier because we don't yeah. have the financial resources. And it's so often our story, you know, and I, I just want to be a part of changing that dynamic, changing that narrative, you know, and being able to provide that access to, to, to black women and underrepresented yes. women everywhere. So we can actually have the resources to be able to start our enterprises because we absolutely deserve that. We absolutely yes. deserve to build these multi. Billion-dollar enterprises, because right. you know, when you look at the corporations and you look at uh, you know things that have succeeded, I realize that it's not that these people are superior. There's no one that's really smarter or hardworking more hardworking than you. It's just access, you yeah. know, access and 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 knowing what's out there. You know, it didn't have to take me a year to actually start my business. To be honest. Yeah. If I if I had someone that had a Rolodex of manufacturers or made a connection, right? You know, and said, Hey, talk to this person. Right. Maybe it wouldn't have taken me a year. You know, it 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 may not needed to take me 10 years to be able to save up money to start my brand if I had the financial resources. Now I'm not giving a million dollar grants yet, but anything it's coming. It's coming. Right. It's coming. But anything helps when you're starting that right. journey because things add up. So if it's just like, hey, let me help you pay for your consumer insights. Let me help you pay for your mm-hmm. website, right? So mm-hmm. you actually start start to sell your product. Let me help you pay for your bookkeeping or you know whatever it is. Like so, those grants go towards those things that you know tend to hold people. That's back so wonderful. Yeah,
0: I love that. That's such a wonderful, wonderful initiative. And I think you know you are a shining example of what i want people to be able to do what i what i hope people get from this show is that side hustling allows you to take the time you need to invest in everything you need to yeah. do before starting your business so mm-hmm. that if you go through a slow period before the business is ramped up you know you still have your job to fall back on hopefully exactly. so yeah i love that you touched on that and i'm also curious to know given the research you did, the consumer insights that you did, when it came time to find your pricing in the market, was that an easier process for you or was it still challenging to figure out where to come in, in the market? Um, you know, Mm -hmm. because obviously you are, you are targeting, you're already coming in as a premium luxury brand as a newbie in the market. How did you approach that?
1: Yeah, so pricing strategy is something that I've actually done a lot and advise my clients on, right? So mm-hmm. for my brand, it was challenging initially because I wanted to find the right right price point that was not going to like you know um, deter people from engaging with my brand, right. but at the same time respected the luxury approach that was taken, and also some of it was from necessity as well. It was like if I'm producing this bag for three hundred, four hundred dollars, I cannot price it at three hundred, right? Because then right. I, I, I lose money, right? Yeah. So going into a luxury market um, necessitated that I had to price at a luxury price point, but I wanted to keep the brand attainable luxury. So my, my okay. demographic had always been us, right? Women like us that, you know, we have disposable income, we work, you know, we have professional careers or we do things right. And we have yeah. some money, we can spend money on a $2,000 bag, but we don't necessarily have to, you can get that same quality in a bag. That's like, or $700. So that's the demographic I wanted to appeal to the demographic that I recognize, right? So, um, you know, 25 to to 55 year olds that had, you know, a professional career that needed a bag that was functional, that was very stylish and and fashionable, but also was going to last from from generation to generation, but they didn't want to invest in a $3,000 bag to get that. And yeah. I, re- I started realizing from my research that all of the big brands, every single big brand out there is producing the same, same places that I'm producing. Gucci's factory is right next to mine. Like literally they're all in that same radius, right? Yeah. And the only difference, the only difference is that they've built the brand equity to be able to price their their products at a certain level. And they also have a lot more overhead than I do, right? So mm-hmm. they have a huge market and organization. They have a lot of people to pay, right? So that's why yep. they get bags are priced. <laughs> so we're paying the cost of their overhead, not mm-hmm. the product, right? The product costs $300 to make, right? Yeah. So it's still going to cost $300 or, or actually maybe even lower because now they're, they're doing a hundred thousand dollar a hundred thousand unit runs right they're doing Mm -hmm. million unit runs so their product probably only cost them 150 dollars to make but we the consumer when we buy a high-end luxury brand we're not paying for the products we're paying for their overhead right so i'm like if i don't have the overhead right and i'm going to keep that overhead down as a direct-to-customer brand right at this time um I can pass on that back to a savings to my customer, right? So right. I wasn't greedy in the sense of, like, I didn't want to price it too high because, to me, it was just, like, I wanted to build the brand, build the loyalty, mm-hmm. build the, you know, the the customer base first, you know, and just really invest in that. So um, revenue was not an, an initial motivator for me in pricing. It. it was, like, really just finding the price point that, of course, did pay me because I am still in business, so I'm not, yes. like, <laughs> a nonprofit. <Yeah>.
0: Right, <laughs> right. Right, right.
1: But but the margin was not exorbitant. I wanted it to be attainable luxury. I wanted it to be like you're getting this bag for a price point that actually respected the the cost of production and also includes a little bit of margin for my efforts and my ma- marketing costs and all this stuff to be able to bring it to you. So that's, that's how I, I arrived at the price. And I made a conscientious decision to make, to keep all the prices less than a thousand, all the bags less than a thousand dollars. Okay. This bag is the best seller. Um, and I started when I started, I priced it at 595. Um, yeah. and But unfortunately, last year I had to make the difficult decision to increase the price to six ninety five because everything increased in prices. Like my my manufacturing costs for that bag increased by twenty percent, and then DHL once increased their prices too. And I'm like, why are you guys increasing your prices? Like I don't
0: get it. Everybody (laughs) was kidding me. Yeah, going up. Right, Yesterday's everybody. Today's price, to y'all already notice. know, it's not is price. not today's price. <laughs> Literally, that's what
1: all my, all my vendors yeah. said. Like, everyone was sending me a notice at the end of the year, like, our prices wow. are increasing by blah, blah, blah. I'm like, why? <laughs> yeah.
0: So, what are the signature bags that you have now? I see, you know, you have the Durban bag, you have the Belt mm-hmm. bag. Talk to us a little bit about all the SKUs that you have.
1: Yeah. So, one thing you'll see that all the bags, well, not all the bags, most of the bags have a city name, right? So, that's okay. inspired by. This was originally a travel brand. And also mm-hmm. I love to travel. I've been to over a hundred countries. And wow. so I, I gained inspiration from all these cities that I've been. So I've named the bag, the Milan bag, you know? So when you go to Milan, it's very chic and stylish. And so that's the bag that I named after Milan. And then I have the Dubai bag, which is more colorful. So you mm-hmm. some of those styles have more color. And then they have the gold chain. You know, gold is synonymous to the, the Middle East. Um, you know, the Geneva bag, I have that as the messenger bag. So when you go to Geneva, with land, a lot of people are in business, so they're running from here and there. So I created mm-hmm. a messenger background that so anyway, so those are all inspired by a city. Um, the, the SKUs are doing the best right now, honestly, since launch has been that convertible executive bag. And it mm-hmm. it's a bag that literally every woman can see themselves or men. I have male yeah. customers that have this as well, but everyone can see themselves carrying this bag because, you know, it comes in now it comes in seven different colors, but this is the yeah. best selling color. This, this olive green one. Um, you can wear it as a chic bag that you're just taking, you know, just, 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 I'm a stylish person. I'm wearing this yeah. bag. Or you can take it to work. Yeah. Some people even use it as a mommy bag, right? Ah, And then because of the chic, yeah. Exactly. Because of the functionality where you can turn it into a backpack, right? So I designed that functionality of you can loop the straps around it and put it into a backpack. So nice. So it's very convenient. You can wear it in four ways. So this bag has just been doing exceedingly well, you know, so I I call it the bag that every woman needs in her closet. This is like you're you're going out, you're running errands, just pick up your bag and go like everyone uses this bag. I have customers that bought all seven colors. What? It's it's (laughs) crazy because I'm like, oh, my gosh, like you love this bag that much. The, the the finish is impeccable. And I'm not just saying this because it's my brand. Like, I'm so proud of this bag. No, it
0: is the, gorgeous. And I'm so proud you. of you because, I mean, you can just tell that you took the time to go to Italy and get this quality because you see people start handbag lines. And it's hard. It's, it's hard because when you say you're a luxury brand, like we, we all have an anchor in our mind of what mm-hmm. deem something luxury. And so yeah. you, you know, you really need to come in on that level so exactly. you made sure that you did that. Exactly. So that exactly. is I just. Like, I
1: cannot call my brand a luxury brand if yeah. I don't have the luxury touches. All the bags come with a dust bag. They have a the luxury packaging, And mm-hmm. just even the way that I, like my customer service, that's something that if you read the reviews that people leave, they constantly yeah. talk about the, the service that they receive. I want it to be a luxury service. Like I wanted to be like a white glove. Right. I mean, I don't have the infrastructure necessarily to make it fully white glove at this point, but I really wanted people to feel good interacting yeah. with my brand. Like I wanted to feel like they they get individualized, personalized attention mm-hmm. to what they
0: mm-hmm. need. Um, Listen, so. I, I can already see. So are you doing this on your own now? Now you talked about having to let go some of your team. As far as mm-hmm. customer service, you talked about responding to things. Are you a one woman show? Or are you, have you been able to build some of that team back up? So
1: here's a lot of entrepreneurs don't like to admit this uh, because, you know, you're on Instagram. People are like, we will respond to your inquiry. (laughs) Most of the time, it's just a one person shop. Right. So all of 2020, like at the end of 2020, well, after the pandemic, once I unfortunately had to let some people go. So the rest of 2020, it was all me. All of 2021 was all me. And then my brother came in as well um, towards the end of 2021. And now I have another person as well. That's helping me. But if I'm being honest, it's still mostly me. Like Mm. I, my brother helps a lot with the logistics, like, you know, handling the DHL and the the fulfillment and things like that. But when it comes to the strategy and the marketing and even the social media and how I engage with influencers, the design aspects, it's still all me. And you know, as I grow, I know that I'm going to bolster up the team. Uh, right now, it's the three of us, but and but I've always still be kind of like been conscious of keeping overhead down because I want to mm-hmm. keep that price point attainable. You know, you're the only way to keep the price point attainable is like my costs go down, right? Or I keep the overhead down. So my yeah. my cost of production rather. Um, but. Actually that is happening because as I'm ordering more units, it's you know, mm-hmm. I'm getting more sales, I'm negotiating better better pricing with my manufacturers, okay. right? Yeah. So that is happening. But um I, I I'm I'm gonna I'm building this into a billion dollar business.
0: So this I is know, gonna be an right. enterprise, right? Yeah. And <laughs> so I mean, what, I'm what gonna have a whole advice? team. <laughs> yeah. What's your advice for people as they are growing? Cause it's kinda like you have to make that decision between, okay, you're getting more sales at some point. Yes, it will feel like you're spending so much up mm-hmm. front, right? Uh, you know, the cost yeah. of goods, the co- your overhead, but then you also need to ramp that up in order to yeah. get more sales. You know what I mean? Like You have to yeah. constantly, constantly make that calculation. Yeah. And so are you at that point where you're starting to think like that? Like, hey, um, I know this seems like a lot right now, but as someone who's building a billion dollar business, is it yeah. a lot or is it helping me to get my next round of sales to this, which will then allow me to invest like exactly. this and then get the next exactly. round of sales like that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Those are the decisions that you have to make as a business owner. And a lot of those decisions are not going to be easy. You're yeah. going to lose money before you yeah. make money a hundred percent. And you have to be comf- comfortable with that fact, because it is a fact, whatever business that you're building, you know, yeah. if it's going to be a sustainable and profit generating business, you're going to have an investment on front, right? Mm-hmm. But it's still going to be hard when that investment is coming from your pockets, right? Yeah. Every single person I pay is still coming from our pockets. So it's like, it's, it's, it's coming from my hard work. Like it's not just arbitrary money. It's not like VC money. It's not paper money. It's real money that I made. Right. But it's something I've had to get comfortable with over the last two and a half years of being in business that in order to grow and scale, you have to invest in your business. You have to invest in marketing. You have to invest in PR. You -hmm. have to invest in all kinds of things to actually get your business to a point that it's actually lucrative and bringing in the Mm -hmm. revenue that it deserves. Right. So making those investments up front is super important um And you know that as you grow in and you're scaling, you're able to actually recoup some of those investments back. You know, yeah. so it's okay because you actually start to see it. So, for instance, yeah. one example is, is Facebook spend, right? If you're only spending five dollars in ads, you're only going to get five dollars of results, right? Right, right. But at first it's jarring to think like I'm going to invest a thousand dollars in something that's not tangible. Right. So say you're like, but then you're like, okay, you start to see some of the return in a thousand dollars. Right. And like, Oh, maybe let me try $5,000 a month. That's the stage I'm at right now. Cause it is jarring. Cause like, ads is not a tangible thing. So I'm like, what yeah. am, I, am I just putting like $5,000 into the ether? Like what the hell? <laughs> right, but then right. you start to see the return on that investment, right? Mm-hmm. And at I least just, you know- can
0: track ads, you know, you can track the conversion, you know, with Facebook exactly. ads, and you can you right. can see how people are moving once they come to your site and things like that. So right. that makes it a little less scary, but I know what you mean. Like, it's not like right. sometimes you just, <laughs> you're like, oh, I just want people to buy, you know, I don't right. I don't want them to just visit. I don't want them to come back. I don't want to retarget them, but it's part of, it's part of the process. No,
1: I learned, I learned. So one thing <laughs> I learned in, in, I think I learned in business school, but also just uh-huh. like in school of real life, right? A customer has to see your product seven times before yes. they actually make a buying decision most of the time. Yep. Whether they see it on Instagram, they see it on the influencer, they see it on TV, they see it on something. They have to hear about it and see it about seven times before they actually go into their pockets. Now, that's the average customer. There's customers that see the bag the first time and they're like, I love it. I want it. I love it. I'm going to make a, a decision. That's your like easiest sale. But the average yeah, yeah. sale takes a lot of time for and you know, I actually look and, and I used to study the customer characteristics of people, how long they spend on the site, what sites they, um, what pages they click on, you know, and also how many times they came. A lot of customers come to the site several times because, again, my price point is not twenty dollars, right? It's not fifty dollars. Right, right. So they have to. Sometimes they have to think about it. Like it's a you know, thoughtful oh, wow. decision. Yeah, yeah it's, it's you have decision. to make a very
0: thoughtful decision. And um, yeah. but w- one of the things I love about Shopify, you can kind of be like, "Hey, did you forget something in your cart?" Or <laughs> exactly <laughs> all the e-commerce platforms now. You know, yeah. like, hey. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I know you were here without right. being creepy. Before we get into the lightning round. I'd love to know um, you are a side hustler. Now you talked about your timeline and everything like that throughout the day, but Mm -hmm. when do you have time to do anything else? How are you fitting this (laughs) into your life? Such a, you know, your business has grown so much. You have a really high level job as an executive at Salesforce. So how are you making this all work?
1: (laughs) Yeah. First of all, I have to give a shout out to Salesforce because they're super supportive of my business. And I know that's not a situation that. that every, everybody has. Sometimes you feel like you have to hide what you do. Salesforce mm-hmm. actually like is proud of the fact they, you know, they collaborated and like uh, and put in some press out there in terms of, just wow. you know, supporting the business, supporting people that have those, that dichotomy of, um, mm-hmm. you know, having that business and also um, working in corporate because it's something to be proud of. It's, it, it yes. says a lot about the, about the person when you're able to perform in this, you know, this fast paced, high demand environment, but also still be able to build a sustainable business. Who wouldn't want that kind of personality in the enterprise, right? So I, I do have that support. But that said, it's still a lot of work and commitment, right? You know, you have to be able to be self-disciplined, know that this is something that you actually want, because if your heart is not in it, you're going to just burn out really fast and you're going to hate it, right? So it's something that I love and I I want to actively engage in it. I want to actively engage with my customers. But I'm not going to lie. There's sometimes I'm just like so stressed, so tired. I'm just like exhausted. And then I have to attend to this, attend to that. And I'm just like, I just want a break. Like, I just want to... Break. I'm about to break down. Like, I'm like. I just need some time so when yeah. that happens you have to make sure that you're caring for yourself like mm-hmm. before that even happens care for yourself yeah. every day so some of my non-negotiables on a daily basis like you know i have to have that quiet time that's just me right you know that yeah. i'm just like just zen and out i read during that time i do some meditation i do my manifest manifestations you know that is time for me not to think about work not to think about what i got to do today or anything like that but just like focus on me what does lola mm-hmm. need I also get regular massages like I actually started the schedule of like Monday mornings before Uh because you know people like talk about the case of the Mondays I'm like how do I balance the case of the Mondays? (laughs) that is so cool (laughs) (laughs) yeah I start my Monday with a massage so I'm starting my Monday amazing I don't have a case of the Mondays. I'm starting my week amazing like feeling good feeling relaxed uh, and then I also run as well. Um, okay. So I go to Orange Theory and, uh, and outside of that, I run like, you know, during the summers, I run like five miles every day. Like that's oh, something wow. that keeps me very balanced and centered. Mm-hmm. So whatever that thing is, you have to find that thing that keeps you going, you know, mm-hmm. and you know, also like have a supportive group of people, whether it's family. Yeah whether it's friends, whether you're part of a business community or something, people that encourage you and support mm-hmm. you to keep going. I'm very fortunate to yes. have people in my life that are just like, Lola, we see you. Keep going. You know, I have friends that tag me and everything. You know, when like on Instagram, people are like, yeah. you know, tag Black old but I'm always being tagged in things. I, and love, I love it. That. I love, I love it. it. I love it so much because people are constantly thinking about how can they support mm-hmm. me and how can they make sure that they're elevating my brand? Because, you know, as a newer brand, you're not going to be in everything you're not going to be no. included in every list and so yeah. when people you know tag you, that's how like you know the visibility grows that word of mouth is critical at any point yeah. that you're in so yeah. um, I'm very grateful for all of that.
0: I really like that in talking about how you juggle these two worlds you emphasize what you do to take care of yourself because for so many people, the answer to that is work more and work harder. (laughs) And it's like, no, you make sure that you pour into yourself so that you can withstand the, the pressure and the stress and not burn out. And I, so I just really like that you emphasize that, that Monday massage thing, that is brilliant. That is so, so cool. So I I might have to copy that. Um, It's life changing. Let's do a quick lightning round. You just answer the very first thing that came to mind. Actually, what you were talking about is one of the questions. So I might have to rework that one. But all right, are you ready? <laughs> I'm ready. I'm ready. Okay. So number one, um, what's a resource? First thing that comes to mind that has helped you in your side hustle journey that you can share with the side hustle pro audience.
1: First of all, um, I keep spreadsheets of everything, right? And I yeah. keep a plan of everything. Like And again, it has to be individual, but make sure you're writing things down. When you write things down, it becomes a plan. It becomes, and you're able to take action. So make sure whatever your mechanism is, you're organized, you're organizing your thoughts and your actions and your plans in some ways. And then there's like business resources across the board that you can use and tap into. Uh, You can take courses on Coursera about business, Harvard Business Review. Uh, Harvard has an open source resource around businesses as well. Uh, You can tap into side hustle pro to learn about yes, people's yes. journey. <laughs> yeah, there's so many things out there. If you're looking for the information, you'll find it. But the most important thing is centering, centering yourself first and knowing mm-hmm. that you actually have a way of motivating yourself to, to go and get it. So,
0: all right. Number two, what's been the best business book or episode or live event that you have attended or, you know, used to pour into yourself?
1: So I will say, okay, one thing I personally do is I read a lot of business success stories, right? Mm-hmm. So for instance, like I read the story of Louis Vuitton, the actual Louis Vuitton, right? And yeah. also Vera Wang, how they got started. And uh-huh. I find motivation in those stories. I also find motivation in hardship. People that have had a difficult journey, but there was, mm-hmm. they were able to navigate themselves a uh, out of it. You know, so Louis Vuitton, for instance, when, they, when he started the brand, he didn't have customers for 10 years. A lot wow. of people don't know that. Right. And it started with trunks. Yeah. It started with trunks. And then one day, you know, somebody walked in and was like, oh, I love this. Right. And then it, was, it started building from there. But it took a long time to become mm-hmm. Louis Vuitton. And I think social media sometimes makes people feel like these things happen instantaneously. They don't. They take time. So um, not a business book. I have several business books that I read, you know, uh but, you know, for me, the most important thing is just like finding motivation in real life stories, especially mm-hmm. stories of perseverance, of overcoming, uh, uh, of tenacity. You know, yeah. wherever I see that happening, I'm inspired by that because it lets me know, like, through whenever I'm having a hard time with the business that I can keep on going as well.
0: Uh, um, absolutely. And, yeah. Number three. Mm -hmm. who is a black woman entrepreneur that you would trade places with and why for a day trade places with for a day
1: trade places with for a day (laughs) um it's gonna sound corny but i've 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 really studied oprah's journey i know a lot of people are not going to say she's an entrepreneur but she actually is she's running her enterprise and you know so and she has many different elements in there. So I've always admired her. And I've always like, if I could trade places with one person
0: per day, give me Oprah. (laughs) Yes, 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 yes. (laughs) Uh, Number four, what is a personal habit that has significantly contributed to your side hustle journey? Uh, Personal habit,
1: meditation, um, Mm -hmm. and also just speaking positively to myself. I start my day with a positive intent and positive thought. Not that you're not gonna encounter things throughout the day, but I always just tell myself, you know, I am a naturally optimistic person. I see opportunity in everything. Even in the things that look like, you know, they could be negative, there's opportunity there. So Mm, everything that that comes Uh, my way.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's so important. And mm-hmm. then finally, um, what is your parting advice for fellow side hustlers who may be stuck or discouraged trying to juggle their own full-time job and side hustle?
1: So if you have an idea, and this idea has been with you for some time, and you've studied the idea, you know that there's something there, and you also know that you know this is something that you are passionate about. I just want to say you don't have to have everything perfectly figured out before you go do it. You have to start it first. Right. You're going to learn along the way. You're going to do things wrong. You're going to bounce back and you're going to learn and you're going to get back up there. But you have to start. And in terms of balancing it with your day to day, You know, it seems scary and intimidating, but, you you know, we we sometimes don't give ourselves enough credit for what we're capable of because we don't know what we're capable of until we actually have to do those things. Right. We're more capable than we give ourselves credit for. You can do it. You know, you have to, of course, you know, make a plan, make sure that you actually have. You know, you're balancing your time. You're balancing your efforts, and you know, you're saying no to the things that don't matter, and you know, you're you're being discerning in terms of what matters. Well, you can actually balance that time. You can do it. You can do the research. You can be slow and steady. Yeah. Um, there's no timeline. Don't let social media rush you into thinking mm-hmm. that everyone is an overnight success. That's not the case. Take the time that you need, make sure you're focusing on understanding the customer. I am hyper focused on customer intimacy. Like I get feedback from my customers all the time. Yeah. I wanna make sure that I'm designing and I'm actually creating products that the market is gonna embrace and love and my customers are gonna feel gr- great with. So make sure you understand your customer, your demographic, figure out what you wanna target. You can't be everything to everyone. If somebody's looking for a super stylish, trendy bag, Probably not my bag because my bag is for the everyday professional that also values fashion. Right? Find your demographic and be hyper focused on that demographic. Don't try to cater across the board. You know, um, don't try to be everything to everyone because you're going to fail. And also be conscious of who you're getting advice from, right? Because mm-hmm. people people may try to input into your stuff, and you should listen. You should absolutely keep an open mind. But also keep in mind that people are only talking from their own perspective. And sometimes that perspective may be limited by what they've tried in the past that didn't work, you know, or their failures or whatever it is. Right. So make sure you're discerning of what advice you're getting as well. And if you've studied your market, you know, your product, you know that there's something there and you really believe it in your heart you have to go for it how you want to design it. Because I'm telling you, people told me you should design this ultra luxurious bag and price it at $5,000 yeah. or you should do this. That's X, Y, Z. And I'm like, <laughs> you have to find that middle ground and just know yeah. that you're being true to yourself.
0: Uh, that those were some gems right there. Well, you know, where can people <laughs> connect with you, Lola? And um, where can people find out more about your brand after this episode? Absolutely. So
1: silver and Riley, all across all socials silver and Riley and Instagram it's uh the brand is ampersand but on Instagram on any social platform you actually have to spell out the and so it's silver a-n-d and Riley silver and Riley and yes. then also the website is www.silverandriley.com. uh that's where you can connect that's where you can find awesome products and I also wanted to share Uh, A discount code with the Side Hustle Pro um, community as well. You can get 20% (laughs) off using the code Side Hustle. 20% off with the code Side
0: Hustle. And thank you so much. That's so generous of of you. (laughs) We really appreciate that. Thank you so very much. And you know, one thing I want to add before we wrap up is this episode has really poured into me today. I, I can't even quite put the words around it, what specific thing it is that has done that for me. But I just want to thank you for that because it definitely has. And I can feel that in my soul and in my spirit. And I hope it has done that for you as well, you guys listening. So with that, there you have it.